So um, I'm excited to continue on in a series that we've been going through with the title of Worthy. And as we've talked about this, we've talked about what it means for us to invest in uh, our future, invest in God's God's kingdom. And today we're going to talk about what it means for us to invest in forever. And I think anytime we talk about giving or tithing or topics like that in church, I think especially for Northeast Ohioans, um, we, we recognize the value of a hard day's work. We recognize, you know, you hear the phrase like easy come, easy go. Like for most of us, Financial things have never come easy for us. They've been something that we've had to work through. We've had to provide for our families or work to uh, keep our bills paid. And so that idea um, puts us on edge. And then I think we also live in a world that reminds us often, it feels like this, that there's, there's somebody who's trying to kind of steal from us all the time. The last time that I opened up a peanut butter jar... And I got to the bottom of it, and underneath it, there's like this half a baseball size piece of plastic that's protecting the air. Do, do any of you know what I'm talking about? Like, I bought air, right? Because I thought that, you, you guys know, what I, there, there's other versions of this. I love these. Uh, check out these on the screen. These crack me up. So, um, so in the, in the top, top left up here, you know, you think you're buying the foot long, and then you get like two, three inches, right? Like that, anybody done this? Uh, like, like you're like afterwards, like, well, how was I so stupid? And then you look at the packaging, it's like, they did this on purpose, didn't they? So uh, how about the toothpaste container, you know, that's half the size? I like the, the uh, chocolates in the top right corner. That's great. Somebody was being nasty when they did that, right? Um, how about the Campbell's jar? One says 40% more and the other says 30% more, but you've got to read the fine print or the pepperoni pizza that you have. Some of you have opened that one up, right? Uh, and you're like, oh man, this is going to be, oh, okay. I see how they did that. My favorite is the one, wait, before I share my favorite, will you look at somebody beside you and tell them your least favorite version of this, right? Like where this happens in your life, where you've had something, where you bought it. And then afterwards, I said the peanut butter one was mine. So go ahead, tell, tell. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> I, I love this. I love the one. So in the, in the bottom right there, that's, that's a hotel water bottle. And if you, you can barely see it, so I'll just read it. It, it says, please enjoy. And then um, in the fine, fine print underwords, it says, and a $4 charge will be put on your hotel bill. Uh, and then when you actually get the four, because your kid opened it up and drank it because it said, please enjoy, there's like a service fee, right? On top of it. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? So, so we live in a world that feels like it's always trying to take from us. That it feels like there, there's always a twist, there's always a catch, there's always something that wants to steal away something from us. And, and what's hard about that is when somebody stands up and talks about giving or when we discuss it in settings like the church, that it's possible that we can feel that same tension inside of us. But I want to remind you this morning that when we get this right, that it actually allows us to fuel uh, what it means to be completely obedient to the Lord in our life. When we get this right, when we have the right perspective of this, it answers a question that has stood out to me in my life for many years. And that is, what is it that made men like the disciples finish well? 
What is it that made the Apostle Paul make it to the finish line and to have not, um, not forsaken his faith or to, to actually have finished well? Are men like some of you know Jim Elliott, uh, a missionary who gave his life in the process of attempting to reach a group of people, he and four other of, uh, missionaries entered into an area where they were attempting to advance the gospel and they ended up sacrificing their life for the sake of the gospel. What is it that would motivate a person to be able to, to do that in their life? And I want you to hear the words that were quoted uh, by his wife, Elizabeth Elliot, that helps us to understand, I think, something that's essential for us. And this is this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Isn't that an awesome statement? Some of you are familiar with that. But that statement uh, summarizes what we're going to focus in on today. What it means for us to be people who invest in eternity or invest in forever. And what we're going to talk about this morning is the fact that when it comes to giving to the Lord, that we're not just investing in today. There's benefits of us investing for today. But there's also an, an eternal implication for the investment that we make. And it might surprise some of you that, that those individuals that finished well, many of them had this eternal perspective. It's something that we don't talk that much about, but we're going to see in Scripture that it is commonly taught. It is important and essential for us to understand that what we do in the process of investing in eternity is something that doesn't just impact today, but it impacts the rest of our future. And so, so I celebrate this fact this morning that, that for some of us, as we wrestle with what the difference is between giving grudgingly or out of necessity versus giving willingly, um, that there's a fine line between the two, but there's an essential one for us to understand. I love the mom who wanted to teach her daughter a lesson in giving. And so uh, before church, she knew that they were going to pass the plate or the basket before or during the church service. So she gave her sweet little daughter a $10 bill and a $1 bill. And she said, all right, honey, when the offering plate comes by, um, you can decide which one you're going to put in the offering plate. And uh, you get to keep what's left over, all right? Um, so you guys thinking about this one, how would you answer that question? Well, the sweet little girl, um, as the offering plate comes by, mom's watching her close and she can kind of see her with the 10 and the one, what am I going to do? And finally she puts the $1 bill in the plate. And uh, later on, her mom asks her in the car ride home, so honey, how did you decide or whatever? And she, she said, well, when the pastor stood up and he said he doesn't want us to give grudgingly or out of necessity, I decided I'd be a lot happier with $10 in my pocket, right? I, I think for, for many of us, like we recognize that that is just the way life is. But those resources that we have, I think that for some of us, we are kind of like a person who is waiting for a plane. That, that the experience of our life is, is sitting down and we're waiting for something to happen in the future. And, and we feel like the, the desire that we have is to make our life as comfortable as we can until the next thing happens. And the Apostle Paul taught us about this at a time in history when they were talking about the Lord's return and expecting our eternal state. And he said there were actually people in the church who literally stopped working. I can picture them getting out like the lawn chair, right? One of those like zero gravity chairs and just resting, right? Like I'm just going to rest until the Lord returns. 
And the apostle Paul said something back to him that was quite profound. He said, don't work, don't eat. (laughs) He said, you've got work to do. And I think what's different between those people who finish strong and who don't give grudgingly or out of necessity, but cheerfully, is that they understand that God has more work for each of us to do. Amen? That God has an essential role for us to contribute and to be a part of. So it's not just we did it, we're past it, but instead it's, it's, it's pressing on to achieve and experience the things that God wants to do. So until we understand that our earthly lives are investing in eternity, we will never understand what it means for us to give cheerfully. Until we understand that we're actually contributing to something bigger that God wants to be a part of, we'll we'll not understand what it means to live this way. So that's not a statement of loss. It's actually a statement of eternal investment. Do you agree with me? Do you you understand why that's so profound for us? I think it's important for us to remember, as we've been studying 1 Chronicles 29, that uh, by giving, we get to invest in eternity. What we've studied together over the last three weeks is a story that one of our elders, Tom Helbley, had encouraged me to study, and it was so profound to study that passage. If you haven't had a chance, I'd like to encourage you to mark it down in your notes and spend some time studying this process where King David was so excited about making an appropriate place for God in his, his presence on earth, the, the, um, this, this manifestation of the Lord that was over the Ark of the Covenant, and he's sitting in his palace, and he's like, God deserves something better than just the temporary tent that he's in, and so King David arranges for And then the people of Israel gather around him, provide the resources in order to build a temple that his son would build, Solomon. And that temple would be an incredible gift to God. It would be a dwelling place for worship for the next 400 years. And um, it would be something amazing that that only could have been accomplished through a group of people contributing together. It's awesome. Uh, But what I loved about that passage is everything about it was marked by joy. It was marked by celebration and praise and and giving God what he deserved. And and, and so when we see this this passage, I just want to pull out one verse out of it that stood out to me. It says, O Lord, um, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts Towards you. He's saying something about long obedience. He's talking about what it means for them to keep worship in their hearts. But today, as we talk about God's word, we're going to see what it means for us to keep forever something um, in our life, what we invest in our life. I, I want you to check out Matthew chapter 6, 19. And I'll tell you, because we live in Northeast Ohio, I think we get um, an extra special understanding of this passage. Because let's be honest, we know rust, don't we? Uh, Yeah, we know rust in Northeast Ohio, right? Uh, This passage of scripture is interesting. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroys. I, I have a friend of mine who he grew up in a home where they, their, their primary vehicle started to rust out in such a way they called it the Flintstone mobile. Uh, and that was like, you can see the road under, they had to like pull straws as to who got to sit over the, the hole in the floor, right? 
Um, we, we understand what happens with, wrath, with, with rust. We recognize what happens when things break down. And, and here, it's, it's fascinating to me in verse 19 that it says, do not lay up. Some of you had a grandma like mine, or maybe some of you do this yourself, where she had this amazing cupboard with all of her vegetables that she canned uh, in, in her household. She stored up, laid up those things. And this is the same concept here. Do not store up investments for yourselves or treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and to steal. It is my suggestion this morning that a lot of the anxiety in our life, it comes from us being afraid that people are going to take something from us, that they're going to remove from us something that's precious or valuable or meaningful to us. And, and I think in, in, um, in Matthew chapter 13, it calls wealth, the pursuit of wealth, the deceitfulness of wealth. And I think for many of us, we're pursuing something that actually he's saying is actually unattainable. But in verse 20, he talks about what it means for us to be people who have an eternal investment. He says, but lay up or store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Not, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And I think the obvious question is, well, how in the world do we do that? What is it that, that we have to do in order to invest in eternity? Because clearly he's saying that this is something that we ought to do. Uh, the, this helps me to understand that when I give, that I gain. When we invest in God's kingdom, and when we're generous with our resources, when we pour our time and talents into things that he wants to do, that we get to step into what God is doing for his glory, and we get to contribute to something that has eternal implications. I love the way William Lane puts it when he says, God takes nothing away from a man without restoring it to him in a new and glorious form. God is not stealing from us. Instead, what he's doing is he's allowing our stuff to be in its appropriate place and allowing it to be a part of how we respond to him. There is going to be a day when the way that we've invested our things is going to come under scrutiny. Uh, and this is a teaching that we don't hear very often, but I want to remind you of this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it talks about what we know of as the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ. And it says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what we have done, whether good or bad. Now, some of us are saying, wait, what? What? Now, we're saved by the grace of Christ, like that we are saved by the blood of Christ. We're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So what do you mean that there's a judgment? As now, some of us wrestle with this, but we confuse this judgment with what's known as the great white throne judgment. And the great white throne judgment is quite frightening. Um, it's quite horrible because what it is, is it, it is God judging people based upon their own merits, not those, this is for non-believers, that are not clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So it's, it's basically, what are you in your own goodness able to communicate your holiness, your separateness, your, your uh, ability to be with a perfect and sinless God? 
And when we stand before God in our own strength, we don't measure up, right? That's the great white throne judgment. But for believers, the judgment seat of Christ is different. This is a time when the Lord looks at what we've invested our time, our treasure, and our talents in, how we've lived our life, and he recognizes the investment of people. Uh, can you guys imagine, you guys, you guys maybe some of you noticed that there was a, a game that happened this week in Canton, uh, and it kind of kicked off a big thing called the NFL season, right? Uh, we're, we're getting ready to have some football around us. Some of you are like, yes, and some of you are like, oh man, here we go. Um, but uh, but it, the NFL, can you imagine for a minute that we get to the end of the year, the, the, the Super Bowl has happened, we've watched all the commercials, and and afterwards, the, the commissioner hands out uh, participation trophies to both teams, right? Can you, can you imagine how weird that would be, right? No, we know that he's going to give out the Lombardi trophy that's going to go to the team that won the Super Bowl. It's going to recognize the victors that, that were the best football team in the National Football League. Uh, what we also, you know, after that too, they'll probably get some rings that are too big to put on any person's, you know, the, the, you know how it works, right? And, and I, I want you to understand when we talk about in scripture rewards and crowns, uh, it, it's appropriate for us to recognize that the crown was symbolic of the, the victor's crown that happened in the, the Olympic type events that happened in those days. And it wasn't just a perishable crown, uh, but what went with it was the position of honor that a person received who had been victorious. So when we talk about crowns, and it's in scripture often, Matthew 5, 12, Luke 6, 23, um, the Luke 6, 35, 1 Corinthians 3, 14, 9, 18, this concept of crowns in scripture is common, and I want us to recognize that God is aware of the way that we invest our life. And as Christ followers, he's aware of the distinction between those who finish well and those who are sitting and just waiting for him to return. And so the challenge for us is to be people who experience the blessing of receiving the, the crowns that the Lord offers for us. Let me just share with you five of these that show up in Scripture. The first is the imperishable crown. Um, it is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, and 25. And it says this, Do you not know that in a race all of the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we do so to receive an imperishable one. So how did Paul press on to the end of his life and finish well? Well, he had that kind of mindset that he wanted to receive the prize of the imperishable crown that only God can give. There's no consolation prize there, right? That that's a recognition of a job well done. Uh, the next crown that's mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 2.19 is the crown of rejoicing. I, I want that one, right? I, I love the idea of, of being um, surrounded by a crown of joy. The next is the crown of righteousness. It's described in 2 Timothy 4.8. Hear this. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul's confident there when he writes this to his disciple Timothy that, 
that there's a, a reward for us if we finish strong. The crown of glory, the fourth one, and this is described in 1 Peter 5, 4, that when the chief shepherd appears, that's the Lord Jesus, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. The, the concept of glory is a great one in scripture that it represents the very nature of God and his actions. This is this is incredible. The last is the crown of life. Revelation 2.10 talks about those who experience persecution. And it says that those who have survived tribulation uh, will receive from them the crown given by God of life. So he says, don't fear about what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to do some wicked things to you to test you. But, but if you persevere, you will receive the crown of life. So, so in these crowns, they are things that are not, you're not purchasing God's blessing. Don't misunderstand this. It's actually just being faithful in the process. And in that process, you experience the blessing of the Lord. So some people misunderstand when we give to the Lord, it's not as if it's just gone. When Jesus taught about giving and he said to us, like, when you do this to the least of these, it's as if you've done it unto me. It's not that it's gone. It's instead invested in the work that God wants to do to bring himself glory and honor. Here's, here's the, the, the simple truth of all of this, though, is that we only get a lifetime to invest in eternity. Now, that's, that's the way it works. We get a lifetime to invest in eternity. And even the events of yesterday reminds us that we don't know how much time we're going to have in our life, Right? We don't know what tomorrow may bring. We shouldn't take tomorrow for granted. I love the way Randy Alcorn, who's written a ton about this particular topic, he says this, now is the window of opportunity not to divest ourselves of money, but to invest it in heaven. I think that's, I think that's what, it, what he's asking us to do. This leads us to what I think is an amazing second point this morning, and that is what you and I invest in eternity has a double payout. You get to cash that check twice. Isn't that awesome? That, that there's a recognition um, in um, Matthew chapter 6, 24, the follow-up of the not grudgingly or out of necessity passage that says this, or I'm sorry, that's the context of where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It goes on to say this, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he says something that's quite heavy. He says, you really can't worship or serve both God and money. Uh, I've already mentioned in Matthew 13, where it says that the deceitfulness of wealth is something that for some of us, we worship that. It's become a part of the pattern of our life. And I think there's a myth that's associated with that. That says, if I can just obtain this thing, then I will be secure or I will be comfort, comforted. Um, I, I think that that process, the obtaining process or the reaching for it, the grasping for something actually leads to a type of anxiety that's a plague in our culture right now. I, I, I need this, this next thing. I gotta, gotta have, this is what I'm longing for. It goes on to say, therefore, I tell you in verse 25, don't be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, 
what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And he goes on. Um, so, so what he's saying there is like the person who gets this is no longer possessed by their stuff, but instead they understand that it's just stuff and, and they're choosing to serve God with their thing. Can, can we be uh, vulnerable for a second? How many of you have a closet at your house? Um, no, no, a few of you. I'm glad you do. Um, how many of you are like me that you have like two like rows, of, like stacks of clothes, like hanging places to put, like multiple? I mean, can't you guys tell? I do, right? right. So, so, so uh, at my house, I have racks of clothes. My wife has racks of clothes. And, and still, it is common for us to walk in there and, and to look around and to have some moment when we say, man, I have nothing to wear today. Anyone relate to that? A few of you? Some of you did that this morning, right? Like that we, we recognize that there's always something more. And what ends up happening with that? By the way, every commercial, every time you turn on your TV, every time you log on to the internet, there's things that tell you that you lack something, Right? You know that's how it works, right? And you know, by the way, that those things do work, right? They tell you, you what you have isn't enough. It's insufficient. If you just had this, you'd be better or smarter or cooler or people would like you more or you guys get this, right? And so, so there's an anxiety that builds up inside of us that just says, I need that. And, and I look at this passage of scripture and I see the antidote to that. When he says, wait a second, that anxiety, it's not diminished by this. It's actually obliterated through this process, right? Because it, it allows us to understand what it means to not have our stuff owe us. So, so what we recognize in this process is that God blesses us with some earthly blessings. I think one of them is just the joy of the Lord. It's the recognition that there's a big difference between need and want, right? There's a big difference between having nothing and actually having a ton and just not wanting what I have, right? And so when we recognize this, I think we find ourselves released from some of that pressure. I think that also what happens is that we get to experience the, the blessing of just being content, right? That God's provided for me and I can enjoy what he's given to me. I think sometimes when we get this right on earth, we get to see the fruit of our, our physical, personal investments. For some of you, this room represents that. Hope Church represents that. For some of you, you were involved in hanging in the drywall in this room. Uh, for some of you, over the last 13 years, you've sacrificially given to contribute to what God's doing here at Hope Church. You get to see it. Now, like I love to tell the story of Ali and I in, in a place in Africa visiting uh, what was a Compassion International site and, and just walking in and just being so moved by the investment that, that others had made. And we'd been a part of it sometimes in our life, but you forget that it's actually literally changing the life of other people. Sometimes we get to see the fruit of our investments. I think most of the time we probably don't. But what I think about in all of this is there's earthly physical blessings of being able to just see what God's doing to have a front row seat for that. But I think it's essential for us to remember, and I'll just remind you from what is an incredible passage of scripture found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, that how you and I live our life will have eternal implications. I want you to hear this passage. It's important. This is written to believers. He says, now if anyone builds 
on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest or it'll be obvious. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each person has done. I like that it's not just about investment, but it's, it's like, how did you, what did you do? What was your heart behind this? And if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through as through the fire. So yes, that person is clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But there will be people on the judgment seat of Christ who missed out on the privilege and opportunity of seeing what they've invested their life in, making it to be an eternal investment. And so as we looked at the, the passage in, in Chronicles uh, 29 about the building of the temple, you know, they used their best resources and it was something that lasted. But we also know what happens when you add a little fire to wood, hay, and straw, right? That, that it, doesn't, it doesn't stand up. And so uh, I kind of illustrate this in a way that's helpful. Imagine you built the two-story house that you've been excited about. And um, in and, and your first week after you moved in, you're burning a candle in the basement. And uh, it ended up catching your house on fire. You're in the upper story. But you had one of those ladders. You get out. Um, you survive. Your family gets out. Um, but you watch it afterwards be destroyed. And so you're thankful that you didn't die in the process, but you saw the fruit of your labor uh, go up in flames. That would be sad, right? That's what he's describing here. He's just saying there's going to be some people who've chosen to invest in what I'm using, the lawn chair comfortable. I'm just waiting for you to show back up, God, or to, to graduate and to go on to eternity. I'm waiting for that. The, the, for those people this isn't questioning their salvation. It's just saying they're going to miss out on the joy of being able to see their life having an internal investment. But there's another group of people who have recognized that God has something that he wants to do. They still have work to do. Uh, by the way, this is who I want to be. A person who recognizes that God's still giving us the opportunity because he's still giving us breath in our lungs to be able to contribute and pour into what he's doing for his glory. So I celebrate together with you this morning that we can get better at this. You know that? So, so even if we've not invested in the way that maybe um, has been considered sacrificial, or we've given grudgingly and out of necessity, or maybe we've misunderstood what it means to contribute for eternity, like that, the beauty of this is today, going forward, we can get better at this. And I think this is something that God wants to do inside of us. There's a, there's a funny passage of scripture that's in the book of Psalms. Uh, I've always found it to be interesting. It's in Psalm 126, 5 and 6, and it says this, Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seeds for sowing, shall comb home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. And there, there was a missionary that I heard speak about this particular passage of scripture, I actually read about from Del Tar. He served as a missionary for 14 years in West Africa in Senegal. And he told the story of when he was there, there, was, um, there were times of great famine in the community that he served in. And he said the pattern would happen every year almost the same, is that there were four years where the climate was appropriate and where things grew and there was a great harvest. And so in four months of the year, 
there was a time period when people had plenty and the, the kids were well fed and people rejoiced in the community. And then the remaining months of the year, um, they went through different versions of famine. And so, so as the time went, they went from multiple meals a day down to one meal a day. And in this small village, he can remember the pain and agony of hearing people crying, uh, babies crying because they were hungry. It was devastating for him. And he said almost every year there'd be at least one of the villagers, family members who had a similar experience. And it would be that one of the kids would, would say to their dad or their mom, they say, hey, there's great news. You thought we didn't have any more food back in the house, but, but actually I found a seed bag that was in our, in our, um, in our garage or barn or whatever that we had. And, and then the father would walk out with the child and see this seed bag that was significant and say, oh, honey, that's, that's the seeds that we have to plant for next year's crop. And so, so we could eat that today, but then we would not be able to experience the blessing of the harvest in the future. And, and that, that image is something that I want us to remember when we talk about this, is that, is that for some of us, we may be misunderstanding what it means to be blessed and privileged and have the honor of being provided for, but that God's perspective on us is to be people who, like the psalmist says, that we recognize, maybe we, we, we reap in tears, but that's not the rest of the story, right? It goes on to say, but we will harvest with shouts of joy. So, so when we talk about these gifts, when we talk about getting better at it, I'm not stealing from you this morning. I'm not attempting to take anything from you. Instead, what I believe that I'm doing, and I, and I apply this in our own household and in our own family, is to remind all of us that God's been clear to us to express to us what he desires of us. And a gift that he's given us is to join him in what he's doing to bring himself glory and honor. I say we can get better at this. Um, and I celebrate a time in history that started with great tragedy. Uh, one of my favorite passages of scripture came at the end of of um, a passage of scripture that are a time period in history where King David had made some pretty significant mistakes. And he, um, he had chosen to do something that God had specifically not asked him to do, uh, that he had counted his fighting men. He was proud of himself and uh, he was proud of the military strength that was, was with his people. And, um, and the result of that was that there was a great plague that had taken place. And so uh, when we catch up at the end of, of a very significant book, um, we get to see these words. And Aruna said, why has my Lord, the king, come to his servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be averted from the people. So the context here is after this, this great punishment that God had, um, had, that had caused a number of people to lose their lives in 2 Samuel verse 20, chapter 24, that there was this punishment and God said that he would remove this plague, but his expectation was that David bought this specific Part, uh, part of land, parcel of land. And on that particular parcel of land, he would build an, an altar to the Lord there. And so David goes to the man who owns it. This Aruna was a wealthy man who had great powers, probably uh, one of the primary leaders of Jerusalem at that time. And the man greets David as he comes out. He recognizes him as, as King David. 
And he says to the Lord, or he says to King David specifically, calls him his Lord. And he says to him, man, I will give you whatever you need. You want that land? It's yours. Uh, now, that's valuable land. And uh, his threshing floor, and there was all these, um, the fields that were around full of harvests. And he said, it's yours. And I'll actually give you all the resources you need the, in order to build this, this altar because God demands of it. And what King David said back to him in verse 24, but the king said to Aruna, no, but I will buy it for you from you for a price. And then these are the words that, that stand out as one of the more meaningful in the Old Testament for me. It says, I will not offer offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. He's, he's saying here, yes, thank you for offering that to me. But I, I want to I buy this because he deserves something more from me. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord. And he offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea for the land. And the plague was averted from Israel. What's so incredible about that is... When you and I see cityscapes of, of modern day Jerusalem and we see the Temple Mount and what is the Dome of the Rock, that, um, that it is believed that that Dome of the Rock sits over this physical location where the Aruna the Jebusite had sold this threshing floor to King David. Um, it's one of the most valuable pieces of land in the world, uh, contested over military might and battles and all kinds of things. And yet, uh, what it was the result of was King David calling precious what God had called precious. That he understood that what it meant to, to say to God, I'm, I'm just not going to give you what's my leftovers. I'm not going to give you, if you were with us, the dead cow, right? Um, I'm not going to give you what is something that is not valuable, but I want to be a person who gives you my best and my time, my treasure, and my talents. I want to remind you of this in three practical, tangible ways. These are application points that I'm committed to myself. I think it's important for us, the first thing is to pray about what it is that God wants us to give. What is it that God's asking of us? And like Ali shared, uh, there are needs that we have as a church family in terms of people. We have roles that we need to fill. We have places in our church family that have gaps in ministry. And maybe God's asking you to um, to be that missing piece that's necessary for ministry to happen. Uh, I, but I, I want to invite you, I want to encourage you to sincerely just commit to praying, God, what would you have us to give? What would you have us to do? The second one is that this is, might sound uh, quite mundane, but it's if you haven't started to give in a tangible way, to just start. Start with giving something, whether it's small. Um, commit yourself to contributing to what God's doing. And I think you're going to find that quote that I read earlier about God not taking from us, but instead providing for us in that process. You're going to learn something about the way that God works. And I, and I think it's similar to that first question, but it's, it's committing yourself to saying, what is, it, what is it that God has next for me? What is the next thing that God's asking? And to ask God to share that with you. What's he have next for you? I think when we get this right, we are not just aware of eternity or waiting for it, but instead we get to invest in it and anticipate what we're doing. So, so, so maybe in that image that I shared earlier of the, 
um, the, you know, waiting for the airplane to take off. Maybe we're a little bit more like the steward and stewardesses, right, that are committed to getting everybody on the plane together with them, that they've got a mission in that place. That's what I want to be a part of, right? I don't want to just be sitting around waiting for the Lord to return. Father God, we love you. We thank you and praise you for this morning. And I just want to pray for each one of us that you uh, would allow us to learn from those who've gone before us who have finished well. I think for each and every one of us in this room, we've been stung by those who've gone before us that haven't finished well. And we've asked ourselves the question, what happened? What fell apart? What what did they miss? How did they give up on something that was so important? And I think there's a hint in this message this morning that reminds us that you give us the opportunity to participate in what you're doing for eternity to bring yourself glory and honor. So I pray that you'd make this fiercely personal for us. Lord, I pray that any person that's here that thinks that this is just about God needing from us, that they'd miss, they would not misunderstand this. Uh, that this is about our heart, this is about our mindset, this is about what you want to do in and through us to bring yourself glory and honor. And I thank you and praise you, not for stealing from us, but for giving us the opportunity to join you in what you're doing to bring yourself glory and honor. We love you. We thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand together? as?